Hello. Welcome to the Black Mass. We've been hoping you join us tonight. There's plenty of room in our establishment for everyone. Um, I see that most of you are standing in the outer darkness, along the walls, in the corners. Well and good. Um, but our inner circle, our chain of empathy, is not yet complete. Twelve is such an even number. Uh, we need just one more. Won't someone volunteer? Come on. It's only in spirit. Ah, yes, you'll do nicely. Right here, on my left. Now, we're all set. Tonight, a story about a cathedral. A very old cathedral. Haunted, of course, but in a very special way. Here is Walter de la Mer's account of All Hallows. It was about half past three on an August afternoon when I found myself for the first time looking down upon All Hallow. And a glimpse of it, fatigue and vexation, passed away. I stood at gaze, as the old phrase goes, like the two children of Israel sent in to spy out the promised land. How often the imagined transcends the real. Not so All Hallow. Having at last reached the end of my journey, flies, dust, heat, wind, having at last come limping out upon the green sea bluff beneath which lay its walls, I confess, the actuality excelled my feeble dreams of it. What most astonished me, perhaps, was the sense not so much of its age, its austerity, or even its solitude, but its air of abandonment. It lay couched there as if in hiding in its narrow sea bay. No other roof, not even a chimney was in sight. Only the dark blue arch of the sky, the narrow snow line of the ebbing tide, and that gaunt coast fading away into a haze of a west over which were already gathering the veils of sunset. At this moment of the afternoon, the great church almost cheated one into the belief that it was possessed of a life of its own. It lay like some half-fossilized monster that might at any moment stir and waken. Walls so ancient and so sparsely adorned and decorated could not but be inhospitable in effect. From my vantage place on the hill that dominates it, I continued for a while to watch All Hallows, to spy upon it, 
those gigantic statues which flank the base of the unfinished tower. Images of angels and of saints as I had learned of old from my guidebook. Only six of them at most could be visible, of course, from where I sat, and yet I found myself counting them again and yet again as if doubting my own arithmetic. My first impression had been that there were seven in view. Ah, but then the lights even of day may be deceitful, and fantasy plays strange tricks with one's eyes. In the midst of my prolonged scrutiny, the hypnotic air, the heat, must suddenly have overcome me. I fell asleep up there in my grove scanty shade, and remained asleep long enough to dream an immense panoramic dream. On waking I could recall only the faintest vestiges of it, and found that the hand of my watch had crept on. It was eight minutes past four. I scrambled up, numbed and inert with that peculiar sense of panic that sometimes follows an uneasy sleep. What folly to have been frittering time away within sight of my goal at an hour when no doubt the cathedral would soon be closed to visitors and abandoned for the night to its own secret ruminations. I hastened down the steep incline of the hill and once more came within sight of the sea. A sea so near that I could hear its enormous sallies and murmurings. Indeed, I had not realized till that moment how closely the great western doors of the cathedral abutted on the beach. It was as if its hospitality had been deliberately designed not for a people to whom the faith of which it was the shrine had become a weariness and a commonplace, but for the solace of pilgrims from over the ocean. And so at last I found my way into All Hallows, entering by a rounded dwarfish side door with zigzag moldings. There hung for Corbel to its dripstone a curious, leering face, with its forked tongue out, to give me welcome, and an appropriate one, too, for the figure I made. Ah, but once beneath that prodigious roof tree, I forgot myself and everything that was mine. The hush, the coolness, the unfathomable twilight drifted in on my small human consciousness. Where was I? What demon of what romantic chasm had swept my poor drowsy body into this immense haunt? Then, at one and the same moment, a sense of utter dismay at earthly surroundings no longer serene but grim and forbidding flooded my mind. I became aware that I was no longer alone. Twenty or thirty paces away, an old man was standing. To judge from the black and purple velvet and tassel-tagged gown he wore, he was a verger. He had not yet realized, it seemed, that a visitor shared his solitude, and yet he was listening. His head crammed forward and leaned sideways on his rusty shoulders. As I steadily watched him, he raised his eyes and with a peculiar stealthy deliberation scanned the complete upper regions of the northern transept. Not the faintest rumor of any sound that may have attracted his attention reached me. He continued so long in the same position that at last I determined to break in on his reverie. At the sound of my footsteps, his head sunk cautiously back upon his shoulders. 
I must apologize for the lateness of my arrival. It's been a far walk from town. Um, uh, until I caught sight of you, I hadn't ventured very far inside the cathedral. Otherwise, I might have found myself a prisoner for the night. Uh, it must be dark in here when there is no moon. I, I, as a matter of fact, sir, uh, the cathedral is closed to visitors at four. At such times, that is, when there is no afternoon service. Services are not as frequent as they were, but uh, visitors are rare, too. I thought perhaps I might be able to find a room for the night and really explore the cathedral tomorrow morning. It was a tiring journey. Ah, it is a fatiguing journey, sir, taken on foot. Carriage parties occasionally make their way here, but uh, not so much as once. We are far too out of the hurly-burly to be much intruded on. Uh, not that them who come to make their worship here are intruders, far from it, but um, most that come are mere sightseers. Uh, and the fewer of them, I say, uh, in the circumstances, the better. Well, I cannot claim to be a regular churchgoer. I am myself a mere sightseer. And yet... Even to sit here for a few minutes is to be reconciled. Ah, reconciled, sir. I can well imagine it after that journey on a day such as this. Ah, but to live here uh, is another matter. Yes, I can imagine it's desolate enough here in the winter. Aye, we have our storms, sir, the bad and the good. And our position is specially prolific of what they call a sea fog. Comes driving in from the sea for days and nights together. Gale and mist, so that you can scarcely see your open hand in front of your eyes, even in broad daylight. And the noise of it, sir, the noise of it, sweeping across overhead in that woolliness of mist. Eh? If you take me, it is most peculiar. Shocking to a stranger. No, sir, we are left pretty much to ourselves when the fine weather birds are flown. Well, I don't want to detain you at this late hour, but you were saying that services are infrequent now. Why is that? Pray don't think of keeping me, sir. It's a part of my duties. Um, you may have seen something that appeared in the newspapers not many months ago. Uh, we lost our dean, Dean Pomfrey, last November. To all intents and purposes, I mean, and his office has not yet been filled. Ah, they are greedy monsters, those newspapers. No respect, no discretion, no decency in my view. And they copy each other like cats in a chorus. Oh, we have never wanted to be a notoriety here, sir, and not of late of all times. We must face our own troubles. You'd be astonished how callous the mere sightseer can be, and not only them from over the water whom our particular troubles cannot concern, but far worse, parties as English as you or me. They ask you questions you wouldn't believe possible in a civilized country. Not that they care what becomes of us, not one iota, sir. 
dead. We talk of them masked-up inquisitors in olden times. Ah, but there's many a human being in our own would enjoy seeing a fellow creature on the rack if he could get the opportunity. Ah, it's a heartless age, sir. A heartless age. <sighs> uh, but, but would you care to see any particular part of the building? Uh, the light is smalling, but still, if we keep to the ground level, there'll be a, a few minutes to spare. Uh, and we shall not be interrupted if we go quietly on our way. For a moment the reference eluded me. I could only thank him for the suggestion, and once more beg him not to put himself to any inconvenience. He led me off gently down the aisle, once more coming to a standstill beneath the roof of the tower. I had no personal acquaintance with Dr. Pomfrey, but I had read of his illness in the newspapers. Isn't he the author of The Church and the Folk? If so, he must have been an exceedingly learned and delightful man. Aye, sir, aye. Uh, you may well say it. A saint, if ever there was one. Uh, but it's worse than illness, sir. It's oblivion. Our dean, sir, was a man who was all things to all men. No pride of place, no vauntingness. None of that apron and god of high and mightiness whatsoever, sir. Ah. And then that. And to come on us without warning. Or at least without warning that could be taken as such. I followed his eyes into the darkening stony spaces above us. A light like tarnished silver lay over the soundless vaultings. Nothing moved up there. He was found, sir, late that night up there in what they call the trophy room, sitting in a corner there, weeping. A child. Not a word of what had persuaded him to go or misled him there. Not a word of sorrow or sadness, thank God. Uh, he didn't know us, sir. Didn't know me. Just a simple. Harmless. Memory all gone. Simple, sir. Uh, but were there no premonitory symptoms? Now, had he been failing for long? Um, if you will just follow me, uh, there's a little place where I make my ablutions that might be of service, sir. We would converse there in better comfort. He turned and led the way with surprising celerity and came to a pause outside a nail-studded door. He opened it with a huge key and admitted me to a recess under the central tower. We mounted a spiral stone staircase and passed along a corridor hardly more than two feet wide, and so dark that now and again I thrust out my fingertips in search of his black velveted gown to make sure of my guide. This corridor at length conducted us into a little room whose only illumination, I gathered, was that of the ebbing dusk from within the cathedral. The old man, with trembling rheumatic fingers, lit a candle 
and thrusting its stick into the middle of an old oak table, pushed open yet another thick oaken door. Uh, you will find a basin and a towel in there, sir, if you will be so kind. I entered. A print of the crucifixion was tin-tacked to the panelled wall, and beneath it stood a tin basin and a jug on a stand. Ah, never was water sweeter. I laved my face and hands and drank deep, my throat like a parched river course after a drought. When I returned, the old man was standing motionless before the spike-barred grill of the window, peering out and down. You asked me, sir, or was there anything that had occurred previous that would explain what I've been telling you? Aye, they meet and they meet. They have now one expert, now another down from London, and even from the continent. And I don't say they are not knowledgeable gentlemen either, nor apply to their profession. But why not tell all? Why keep back the very secret of what we know? That's what I am asking. Uh, and what's the answer? Why, simply that they don't want to believe what runs counter to their hopes and wishes and credibilities and comfort in this world. That's what they keep out of sight as long as decency permits. But what is wrong here? Wrong, sir. Uh, uh, take me your situation. Uh, as far as my knowledge tells me, there is no sacred edifice in the whole kingdom, of a peace, that is, with all hallows, not only in mere size and age, uh, but what I might call sanctity and tradition, that are so open, open, I mean, sir, to attack of this peculiar and terrifying nature. Terrifying? Terrifying, sir. Though I hold fast to what which my maker has bestowed upon me. Where else, may I ask, or would you expect the powers of darkness to congregate in open besiegement than in this narrow valley? As we stand now, we are above a mile from traces of the nearest human habitation, them merely the relics of a burnt-out old farmstead. I warrant that if, and which God forbid, uh, you had been shut up here during the coming night, and it was a near thing what you warrant. I warrant you might have shouted yourself dumb out of the nearest window, if window you could reach, and not a human soul to heed or help you. Well, I, I hope I should not have disgraced my nerves to such an extreme as that. As a small boy, one of my particular fancies was to spend a night in a pulpit. There's a cushion, you know. Oh, but I take it, sir, if you had ventured to give out a text up there in the dark hours, your jocular young mind would not have been prepared for any kind of a congregation. You mean that the place is haunted? I mean, sir, that there are devilish agencies at work here. Don't I entreat you to dismiss what I'm saying as the wanderings of a foolish old man. I have heard them with these ears. I have seen them with these eyes. Though whether they have any positive substance, sir, is beyond my small knowledge to declare. 
devils are creatures made by God, and that for vengeance. Why, I ask, does every expert that comes here leave in haste and in dismay? They go off with their tails between their legs. They see, they, they grope in, but they don't believe. They invent reasons, and they hasten to leave us. Why? Why, because the experience is beyond their knowledge, sir. Ah, but uh, surely every old building is bound in time to show symptoms of decay. Why should you suppose mere wear and tear should be caused by any other agency, then? No, no, sir. No, I must apologize. No, I'm a poor mouth at explanation, sir. A decay. Stress. Strain. Settling. Dissolution. I have heard those words bandied from lip to lip like a game at cop and ball. They fill me with nausea. Why, I am not speaking of dissolution, sir, but of repairs, restorations, not decay, strengthening, not a corroding loss, an awful progress. I could show you places where stones, lately as rotten as pumice and as fretted as a sponge, have been replaced by others fresh quarried and nothing of their kind within twenty miles. There are spots where massive blocks a yard or more square have been pushed into place by sheer force. All hollows is safer at this moment than it has been for three hundred years. But if you ask me for what purpose are such doings are afoot, huh, I have no answer. None. Ah, did you hear? Now, sir, you'll see for yourself. Uh, on the other hand, we can leave the building at once if you're so minded. No, no, uh, lead on, I'll follow you. Why then, sir, let us be gone at once. There's no time to waste. Um, what I would suggest, if you have no objection, is your kindly grasping my gown. Uh, there, there's a kind of streamer here, you see, as if made for the purpose. Uh, uh, there will be a good deal of up and downing, but I know the building blindfold, as you might say, inch by inch. Uh, and, and now that the bell ringers have given up ringing, it is more in my charge than ever. He opened the door, grasped the candlestick, and then blew out the light. We were instantly marooned in an impenetrable darkness. A uh, please... Tug at the streamer if you need attention, sir. In a few minutes, the blackness will be less intense. I have endured too often the nightmare of being lost and abandoned in the stony bowels of some strange and prodigious building to take such an adventure lightly. I clung, I confess, desperately tight to my lifeline, and we groped forward. I found myself steadily ascending, and then in a while feeling my way down flights of hollowly worn stone steps, and anon brushing along a gallery or corkscrewing up a newel staircase so narrow that my shoulders all but touched the walls on either side. In spite of the sepulchral chill in these bowels of the cathedral, I was soon suffocatingly hot, and the effort to see became intolerably fatiguing. Once to recover our breath, we paused opposite a slit in the thickness of the masonry. 
at which to breathe the tepid sweetness of the outer air. It was faint with the scent of wild flowers and the cool of the sea. We then turned inward once more, ascending yet another spiral staircase. And now the intense darkness had thinned a little, the groined roof above us becoming faintly discernible. Dead still here, sir, if you please, dead still here. Uh, there's a drop of some sixty or seventy feet a few paces on. I peered out across the abyss, conscious as it seemed of the huge superincumbent weight of the noble fretted roof, only a small space now immediately above our heads. How long we stayed in this position I cannot say, but minutes sometimes seem like hours. And then, without the slightest warning, I became aware of a peculiar and incessant vibration. It is impossible to give a name to it. It suggested the remote whirring of an enormous millstone, or that, though without definite pulsation, of revolving wings, or even the spinning of an immense top. Ah, uh, do you see that, sir? I gazed and gazed and saw nothing. Indeed, even in what I had seemed to hear, I might have been deceived. No time was given me to make sure. The old man had hastily withdrawn me into the opening of the wall through which we had issued, and we made no pause in our retreat until we had come again to the narrow slit of window and could refresh ourselves with a less stagnant air. We stood here, resting a while. Well, sir. Do you ever pass along here uh, alone? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I make it a habit to be the last to leave, and often the first to come. But I am usually gone by this hour. It is so difficult to be sure of oneself. Have you ever actually encountered anything? Um, near at hand, I mean? I, I keep a sharp lookout, sir. Maybe they don't think me of enough importance to molest. But have you encountered anything? Have you? Well, yes, sir. And in this very gallery. They nearly had me, sir. But by good fortune, there's a recess a little farther on. I had had my warning and managed to leap in there and conceal myself, but only just in time. Uh, indeed, sir, I confess, I was in such a condition of terror and horror. I turned my back. You, you mean you heard, but you didn't look? And something came? Yes, sir. I seemed to be reduced to no bigger than a child, huddled up there in that corner. There, there was a sound, like clanging metal. It drew near at a furious speed, then passed me, making a filthy gust of wind. For some instance, I, I couldn't breathe. The air was gone. And no other sound? No other, sir. Except out of the distance, a noise, like the sounding of a, a stupendous kind of, of gibberish. A calling, or so it seemed. No human sound. You see, sir, I myself wasn't of any consequence, I take it unless a mere obstruction in the way. Ah, but I have heard it said somewhere that a rarity of these happenings is only because it's a pain and a torment 
and not any sort of a pleasure for such beings. Such apparitions, sir, good or bad, to visit our outward world. And if I may be forgiven the boast, sir, uh, I seem to have almost forgotten how to be afraid since that time. What is anybody's life, sir? Come past the gaiety of youth, but marking time. Oh, oh, did you hear anything then, sir? No, no, no I hear nothing. Uh, but please don't think I am doubting what you say. Far from it. You must remember that I am a stranger, and that, uh, therefore, the influence of the place cannot but be uh, less apparent to me. Aye, sir. Uh, now, if you are sufficiently rested, would you perhaps follow me onto the roof? It is the last visit I make. We had not far to go. The old man drew open a squat, heavily ironed door at the head of a flight of wooden steps and admitted us at once to the leaden roof of the building and to the immense amphitheater of evening. We edged softly along, then paused once more to find ourselves now all but tete-a-tete -tete with the gigantic figures that stood sentinel at the base of the buttresses to the unfinished tower. The mere sense of that abysm of space the mere presence of the stony leviathan on whose back we two humans now stood, dwarfed it into insignificance beside these gesturing images of stone, were enough of themselves to excite the imagination. And whether, matter of fact or pure delusion, this old verger's insinuation that the cathedral was now menaced by some inconceivable danger and assault had set my nerves on edge. My feet were numb as the lead they stood upon, while the tips of my fingers tingled as if a powerful electric discharge were coursing through my body. We moved gently on. Once with a hasty gesture, the old man drew me back and fixed his eyes for a full minute on a figure, a forbidding thing enough, viewed in this vague luminosity, which seemed in spite of the unmoving stare that I fixed upon it to be perceptibly stirring on its wind-worn pedestal. Uh, no, sir. All's well, all's well. Uh, uh, the night is uncommonly quiet. They seem to leave us at peace on nights of quiet. Uh, but we must turn in again and be getting home. You were saying that even the experts were perplexed by what they had discovered. Uh, what did they actually say? Say, sir. Aye. Uh, Look, examine that balustrade. Look at that gnawing and fretting, that furrowing above the lead there. All that is honest wear and tear, constant weathering of the mere elements, sir. Now, now compare it, if you please, with the St. Mark over here. I stooped close under the huge grey creature of stone, and unless the moon deceived me, I confess I could not find the slightest trace of fret or friction. Far from it, the stone had been grotesquely decorated in low relief with a gaping crocodile, a two-headed crocodile. 
and the angles, nubs, and undulations of the creature were cut as sharp as with a knife in cheese. I drew back. I Now, cast your glance upward, sir. Is that what you would call a saintly shape and gesture? What appeared to represent an eagle was perched on the image's lifted wrist. An eagle resembling a vulture. The head beneath it was poised at an angle of defiance, its ears abnormally erected on the skull. The lean right forearm extended with pointed forefinger as if in derision. Its stony gaze was fixed upon the stars. Its whole aspect was hostile, sinister, and intimidating. I drew back, horrified. I, sir, and so with one or two of the rest of them. There are other wills than the Almighty's. I can for the life of me understand what you are saying. One doesn't repair in order to destroy. No, sir. Say you so. And why not? Are there not two kinds of change in this world? A building up and a breaking down. To give strength and endurance for evil or misguided purposes. Would that be power wasted if such was your aim? Why, sir? Isn't that true even of the human mind and heart? Ah. Uh, we are on the outskirts, I grant. But where would you expect the enemy to show himself unless in the outer defenses? An institution may be beyond saving, sir. It may be being restored for a worse destruction. And a hundred trumpeting voices would make no difference when the faith and life within is tottering to its fall. At that instant, a dull, enormous rumble reverberated from within the building, as if a huge boulder or block of stone had been shifted or dislodged in the fabric. A peculiar, grinding, nerve-wracking sound. And for the fraction of a second, the flags on which we stood seemed to tremble beneath our feet. Come, sir, come, sir, keep close. Uh, we must be gone at once. We have stayed too long. We emerged into the night at last without mishap. The little western door, above which the grinning head had welcomed me on my arrival, admitted us to terra firma again, and we made our way up a deep sandy bank. We turned when we reached the summit and looked back. All hallows, vague and enormous, lay beneath us in its hallow resembling some natural prehistoric outcrop of that sea-worn, rock-bound coast. But strangely human and saturnine. Uh, you'll forgive me, sir, for mentioning it, but I make it a rule as far as possible uh, to leave all my troubles and misgivings outside when I come home. My daughter is a widow, uh, not long in that sad condition. So I keep as happy a face as I can on things. On my way to bed that night, the old man led me in on tiptoe to show me his grandson. 
he was of that fairness which almost suggests the unreal. He had flung back his bedclothes, as if innocence in this world needed no covering or defense, and lay at ease. The dews of sleep on lip, cheek, and forehead. He was breathing so quietly that not the least movement was perceptible. The lovely thing. Where is he now, I wonder? And from out of the distance, there came the first prolonged whisper of a wind from over the sea. It was eleven by my watch. The storm, after the long heat of the day, seemed to be drifting inland. But all hallows, apparently, had forgotten to wind its clock. Incidentally, how is the stonework doing in your house these days? If you need any repairs, won't you drop us a line? Uh, we'll send uh, someone right over. <laughs> but now it's time to break up our little gathering for this evening. We'll meet again real soon. We're preparing a real thrill for you next time with H.P. Lovecraft's story about the rats in the walls. Another adventure with interior redecoration. Join us. Bring a friend. Good night. The technical production for this broadcast was by John Whiting. Walter de la Mare's story, All Hallows, was adapted and performed for you by your host of the Black Mass, Eric Bowersfeld.